Welcome to Open House, the real estate and mortgage show on News Talk 580 CFRA. If you have any questions about mortgages or real estate, give us a call at 521-TALK. That's 521-8255 or text 580-580. With Frank Napolitano and Paul Rushforth, here is Steve Gregory. Not only is it March, not only is it a beautiful day again... All right, Paul, I will give you the floor to take your shot at Frank. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Frank is stuck on the plane right now in in Newark and uh, obviously going to another conference, but... uh, Where would that be, I wonder? Someplace warm, I'm sure. Someplace warm for Frankie, yeah, but you know... I, I was thinking about it. We're March, so we would have, would have had about, what, eight to ten shows so far, eight to nine shows so far this year. What is Frank about, one or two he's been at? Well, he's busy learning. He's learning, yes, learning. Well, right. And besides, we have Sherry. We don't need Frank. That's right. She's smarter anyways and better looking. Happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't want to get involved yeah. in the chirps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anything you'd like to say to Frank while he's listening on the tarmac? <laughs> no way. He, you know, go and have fun. <laughs> Hey, Wednesday, it's yeah. going to be the non-announcement. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, I'll let Sherry comment more on this. This is her field, but I, I can't see rates going anywhere. I Nobody mean, can. I, I, no, and I, I mean, I don't think they're definitely going up or down. I think they just remain stagnant. Am I correct there, Sherry? Yeah, that's what everybody's saying right now. The economists are pretty much in. Just turn that towards you there. Okay. There, there <laughs> we go. Here I go, yes. Yeah, I know pretty More much importantly, is, is their comment afterwards, right? What they're going to say afterwards about the future? Yeah, absolutely. And that's where uh, you saw last week uh, the Fed had made a comment saying that they're really, you know, they're planning on going down, which I think was the first time they've said that they're planning to go to decrease. Yeah. So formally. In term, in those words, but our GDP was up a little bit. Is that going to make a, another pause now? Are it's we a, everything is just a balancing act, isn't it? Right. Yeah. So you know, it's the jobs. It's the if something goes up too much, it's it's all a balancing act. So yeah, uh, I, right now everybody's thinking hold and probably not uh, an increase or a decrease until maybe summer. So maybe a couple more holds and then and then in June they'd be looking at so that. Yeah, I think June. I think that's what Frank says too. He th- he thinks June we're going to have a drop and. And we could have, I've heard different economists say different things. I mean, one that we I really like is Benjamin Tall, obviously, from, uh, he's what, CIBC? Uh, CIBC. CIBC. Mm-hmm. And, and he came out, now this was, you know, it's it's hard to predict, as Sherry said, with all the variables, but he came out and said he could see uh, between 1% and 2% next year, or this year, sorry, yeah. as a rate drop. That's bold. That's bold. But I would you agree, Sherry? I think we're going to at least have one. I one for sure. I mean, I think I remember at when so Ben Tal speaks at our conferences often, our, our industry conferences often, and and a few years ago, I remember uh, him going on and saying, "Listen, economists are always wrong. It's true. It's just it's, how it's, it's just how wrong we we judge ourselves on how wrong we're going to be. Yeah. And and so you know, there's so many variables out there, but definitely all of the markets would say when you look at the bond markets and the and the futures on those, it, it's all looking trending down. And probably, you know, depending on the month, it's it's looking three quarters of a point, a point, that kind of thing. That usually from that, it's funny. It's funny when you talk, say economists are you, you know usually how wrong are they going to be? It is so true. You look at all these these real estate uh, um, predictions, sorry, and you know you have anyone saying. You know, prices are going to go down. Prices are going to go up. Some say it's going to go up 7%. Some say down 4%. All over the map. All over the map. All over the map. And the only thing you can do is, I mean, we have our pulse on the market. We we know where we think the markets are going to go. And and I think um, 
I think Canada as a whole, but especially Ottawa, I think we're going to have a very strong 2024. I think we're going to have a, a, a slow start to it. But then, you know, as we see the rates drop in June, I think that's going to open the floodgates. We're already seeing it. I mean, we're seeing that listings are up, solds are up, average sale price is up. So things, days on market are down. Days on market, median days on market went from 40 to 20 by the end of January to wow. February. So, so that's, that's, that's good news. So one. things are selling, which is great. Uh, we talked just before getting on. Multiple offers. We're definitely getting multiple offers again, but we're not seeing, um, you know, we are seeing lots of multiple offers with conditions. We're seeing some without conditions, but some are coming in with conditions. Uh, And, you know, we're not seeing the 100, 150, 200 over asking. We're seeing, you know, the 5, 10, 15 over asking. So more of a a market that we probably went through in 2018, 2019. we're, We're more on pace with that. Yeah, I don't think, I think our days of extremes are done for a long time, right? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, extreme both ways, right? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. I, I think the, the, the terrible market like we went through last year is, is, is I believe is over. Uh, and then the crazy markets where we saw, you know, in three years, we saw the average sale price go up 50%, which is, I, I don't think we'll see that in our lifetime again. I mean, that, that's it's been a crazy few years though. In 2022, they raised the benchmark seven times and three times last year, like 10 times, 10 times. in a row. Yeah. Like nobody saw that that coming not mm-hmm. that fast well it's not it's not even just the crazy market and and you know what's going on it's everything like you know going through a pandemic you know uh the weather patterns uh, what's going on in the world like the, the world's gone insane if you ask me it's yeah. totally gone i think insane. the world's been insane for a long time <laughs> it really it's has just, we just <laughs> noticed it now yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, but, but yeah it's I, it You've got to see people now. Are they chomping at the bit, at least looking to see if they qualify now? Are you getting more There's reaction? a lot more optimism. We're getting lots more applications. Lots more people are putting in pre-approvals in anticipation. of. I think it's more that people are feeling that the, that they're settled, that it's not going up, that the rates aren't going up. I think that's – it's all – much like the stock market, it's you know there's a lot of investor psychology involved in it, and I think people have just decided to jump back in. And they're they're um, absolutely our pre approvals are going way up. Lots of applications, lots of calls, that kind of thing. So that's I think bodes well. Um, also, in terms of the you know the over asking and things, I think we're also I mean tell me if I'm wrong, but I think we're also getting away from or we've all been away from the idea of people listing properties significantly under market to get those huge over market. So we're the listing prices are closer to what I know it's not a science. It's yeah. it's the best that you can do, but I think the listings are closer in general to the to the price that they should be. Yeah, 100%. I mean that's that's a I mean it's a decent strategy if you have sort of like a, you know, an uglier house or in a certain area. But yeah, I mean that that became a very lazy strategy during COVID when agents were listing homes for you know fifty seventy thousand under asking price and you know they were getting, getting two hundred over getting two hundred over which they were doing they were doing the job for the seller but it was a very lazy strategy very lazy strategy. There was a a friend of the show Mike Carasetto, uh sent us something today. Uh, I believe it was reported by CTV. Oh, not the nude real estate agents? No, 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 no. <laughs> the average home price. So homes for sale in the city that, that fall within the 500 to 750 range now make up the largest uh, fraction of home uh, valuations in the city. Homes in that price range make up 43%. So 43% of all homes are between 5 and 750. Only 19% of homes are valued less than 500. And they would be condos, right? Yeah. And homes 750 to a million now make up 23.6%. A decade ago, so not that long ago, the vast majority of homes, 79% were valued less than 500000 
and homes worth between 750 and a million only made up 3% of the market. So see how things have changed in a decade? And where are we now, 750 to a million? Uh, 750 to a million, we're at 23.6%. Wow. So now, as we were going through COVID, I'm sure that number was way higher because a million dollars didn't get you much going through COVID when the prices were absolutely insane. Yeah. So you got to think, though, now here we are in March and the average closing is what, three months? It's and so it, by the time you get to three months, now we're in June. That's when the rates are supposed to come down. So if you're thinking about looking for a house, you might as well start planning right now because by the time you know you close on a house, you'll have a better opportunity to, even if you take variable, rates should be down a little bit lower and they may come down even more as the summer goes on. A hundred percent. And I've been telling people now is the time to buy. And, and, you know, I, I know it's actually the time to buy was 2018. It was but. 2018. <laughs> but, but, you know, I know it sounds like it's coming off slimy that I just want people to buy. So, but it's, it's true because we're going to see when the rates drop in June, we are going to see, I believe, a frenzy. We're going to. I think a- even before that, Paul. I, I do. I, I do. I think we go another month, and you get closer and closer. Yeah. And like I said, those closing dates, then all of a sudden, you know that the rate is going to be lower, and you're in more of a driver's seat. Yeah. And the five year may come down by then too, right? I mean, the five year has been steadily coming down. Of course, or well, I should say it's it's been it's following down, the bond down market. This week, though, right? It's down this week. We're in the in the high fours. We even have a lender at four eight nine on the fixed. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that, that's, it all speaks to, um, buyer optimism and the more buyers who want to enter the market, you know, what happens then, then we get into multiples and we get into, so I a hundred percent agree. I'm saying the same thing to my clients when they, when they call that really you should be looking now. And, and, and a lot of, a lot of news articles are coming out about that. Lots of stories, um, you know, lots of TV, um, reporting is coming out saying, you know, there's a lot of pent up demand and, and, and buyers are looking to get in now, even though the rates are high, buyers are looking to get in now because they are coming down. Problem with that, I still see, I hear so many bankers and mortgage brokers pumping that five-year fixed. And I think that's just the wrong way to go yeah. is a five-year fixed right now until they start coming down a little bit. Um, cause we know variables definitely coming down. So with all this interest climbing now, where are the listings going to be? Are we going to have the listings to fulfill the demand? Well, we we're way, way, way underlisted. We don't have enough properties. That's for sure. We're over 3000 listings right now, which is great, but we really need to be at four five, 6,000 listings on the market. We just don't have the property and we need to get, like, we've been talking about this for a while now, but builders building more homes and making it easier for builders to build homes and, it's just not happening. It's, it's slow. I mean, I like to see that it's, 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 it's starting a little bit, but it's still too, way too slow. We need way more inventory than we have right now. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Got a special guest player, Paul, coming up. We do. We have uh, David Leith uh, on the other end of the uh, commercials. It's, uh, he's a partner with Farber, Robillard, and Leith. In other words, he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. <laughs> and he, he's a lawyer, and he's smart. <laughs> we'll be right back. We return to Open House, the real estate and mortgage show on News Talk 580 CFRA. You know, it's always nice to add to the uh, brain forum here, especially when we get a brain. That's right. We finally have a brain. Well, Frank's gone. So. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah. So uh, welcome David Leith. David is a partner with Robillard, Farber Robillard Leith, sorry. Um, and a lawyer extraordinaire and a, and a very uh, great guy and a, one of my go-to lawyers. So great guy. Welcome, David. Thank you very much, Paul. Appreciate being on. So, David, the reason uh, I wanted you on today, because of what happened this week where, you know, a client of mine 
um, has a mother living in the area, uh, has a townhome, and she's about to move in with them, or I think it was moving in with them, and the kids want to keep the house. I mean, it's eventually going to go to them anyways, and they wanted to keep the house, turn it into a rental property. And uh, I just wanted to see what your thoughts on around that, what the best strategy is. Do they go on title, not on title? What do they do? Perfect. Well, I appreciate that. Very, it was actually a very good uh, uh, factual email that I did receive from you, Paul. And so when you have a situation like that where mom or, or dad uh, owns a property, but they're getting elderly, they're either going to move in with them. I think in this case, I think they were moving into a nursing home. Um, you know, the son was looking to see, well, can we keep it? Is it possible to rent it? The bottom line, I think, is first and foremost, is what's in the best interest of the parent, because this is their asset, their property, and, you know, if if the son has uh, power of attorney over the mom's affairs, he has an obligation, a fiduciary obligation to the mom, to the parent, not the beneficiaries of the estate. And so they have to look and determine, uh, well, what is this asset? What's the value of the asset? Does mom need this asset uh, to... Uh, to pay for her care for the rest of her life. And so that's where you need to uh, not only engage uh, with yourself uh, on the real estate side, maybe even the mortgage side, but also lawyer account, just to look to see what impact is uh, either selling the property and then keeping the money, renting the property. What does that do to mom's uh, uh, taxation uh, situation, rental income, that type of thing? Who's going to be the property manager? All of these, those things have to be taken into consideration, I think, before you make that business decision to, to, do, to go one way or the other. David, what's the tax like? So if, if I was to go, or, or let's use this, this scenario, if the son or the, the kids are, are to go on title of this property, right. when mom passes, they're going to have a capital gains issue there when they go to sell that, aren't they? Correct. So... If they add themselves to title and they want to, say, uh, do that because they want to reduce probate, maybe make it simpler when uh, mom does pass, a couple of things kick in. Number one, yes, you may be able to reduce probate, but now you've, not, you've created a, a potential capital gain tax issue for the kid going on title. What happens if, you know, you're the son who lives in Ottawa, but you have a sister who lives in Edmonton? You know, and then the the mom puts you on title because you live here. What about the sister in Edmonton? Uh, The asset automatically will go to the son on uh, survivorship when mom passes away. Now it becomes the son's. What happens if the will says, I want to give everything equally to my kids, but now you've just given probably the largest asset within, uh, within her asset base to the son that he can sell, keep it himself if he wants all the money. So you've got to be really, really careful with, uh, with that. And yes, you will create a capital gains, potential capital gains issue. Uh, you would want to speak to the accountant, both the, the mom and the son, want to speak to an accountant to see, number one, uh, you know, is this a prudent thing to do from a taxation perspective? Are there any alternatives? Uh, would putting the, the home in trust be an alternative from a taxation perspective, but that's more of an accounting question. Yeah. The other thing is, what happens if the son's 25 years old never bought a property? Now you may be potentially impacting their first-time home buyer uh, rights under land transfer tax, RSPs, a whole bunch of different things. So there's always that cause and effect. You know, you want to maybe reduce probate, make it easy on the passing of mom, but now you've created a bunch of issues that 
you may not have thought about before. Ooh, the more I think about this, the more I think cleaner is better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it sounds like the, <clears throat> the cheaper alternative is to, to pay probate taxes rather than capital gains taxes. So not. Go and then who knows when they start and when they stop and then yeah. what happens to her portion before. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the question of renting the property out while mom's alive in a nursing home, that's a different situation because, uh, you know, she's alive. This is her asset. Yeah. Uh, she may need that, the, the income from the home or the sale proceeds of the home in order to be able to maintain uh, whatever expenses she may have on a go-forward a go basis, right? Hey, David, more and more people are entering real estate now in non-traditional ways. They're either going rent-to-own or co-owning with a family member or friend. Any pitfalls you see there? Are you, or are you even seeing that now? Right. So the rent to own, uh, I'm not a big fan necessarily of those situations. They're, they can be very complicated and can create, uh, you know, difficult, uh, costly things if it goes sour. Um, you know, the second situation, you do see a lot of situations when, and, uh, on the, uh, because the banks require, say, uh, a little bit of extra oomph on the, uh, uh, on the, uh, approval of the mortgage to add a parent on title. You're seeing a lot more situations where a mom or a dad or both have to go on title to the property. Typically in those situations, you know, we're not putting the parent on fully as to an equal interest. Usually they're going on as a nominal interest just to be able to satisfy the bank's requirements. Uh, In those situations, it's the same thing. Parents on title, but they own a principal residence. There may be some taxation issues for them. It's minor, mind mind you, but it's still there. Uh, Then when you have a uh, parent who passes away and is still on title to the home, then you've got some, you know, it's got to be factored into uh, potentially a probate application. So, but And how does the, how does the, when you do have a, t- a parent on title, how does that impact the um, first time, uh, the land transfer tax benefit for the first time home buyer? Right. That's why, yeah, great question. We actually, uh, the reason you put them on as to 1% is because it's usually if the child is a first-time buyer, you want to maximize how much uh, refund they're able to uh, to obtain from the government. And so by putting the parent only on as to 1%, the, their, the, the, the refund, which is a maximum of 4000 gets reduced by something like $20. So it's very, very more cost-effective to do it that way. Are you seeing friends getting together now, purchasing homes together? Um, I haven't seen that too, too much. Paul might be better to answer that, but that's not a, uh, I don't think, I think it was always around. You know, you always had, uh, you know, people going to, going to purchase homes more from an investment perspective, not necessarily from a, we can't, we want to get our feet in the market, so we have to go in with, uh, I have to go in with a friend of mine, so we'll live together. I haven't seen that quite yet on the files that I'm uh, uh, dealing with. Uh, one one thing that you have to be cautious, you better have something drawn up if you're moving in with a friend. That's I, what I was just going to yeah, ask. I, I had a scenario uh, where two of my very good friends uh, wanted to buy an investment property together, and they didn't spend a little amount of money on this. It was a lot of money. And um, I, I told them, I said, guys, bad idea. It's a bad yeah. idea. I love that you're yeah. getting into the investment game. I love you're doing that, but it's a bad idea. Well, guess what happened? A year later, one of the guys needed a little money to, for something, so he had he asked to sell the property, and the other guy didn't want to sell, but they had no choice. He yeah. couldn't afford it. They ended up selling and sold for a lot less than what they paid for it. Yeah, yeah so right. In those scenarios, you want to have exactly a, a joint ownership or co-tenancy, co-ownership type agreement. You don't want to go on title with your friend um, as a joint tenant because you do not want the right of survivorship to kick in. You want tenants in common, so you each control your share. Yeah, can you explain that? That that was a good one. Uh, the tenants in common and, and joint tenancy. 
So joint tenancy, when you go on title with somebody else, and most spouses would do that, they go on title as joint tenancy because there's a right of survivorship. So when, when one of the joint tenants passes away, the asset can automatically go to the survivor. You register something called a survivorship application, and once registered, title gets transferred. When you go on title as a tenant in common, you each control your percentage interest in the property. So there's no survivorship rights. Um, if, you have a, if you have a will, which you should, there should be something in there that deals with that. But notwithstanding, it kind of stays within your family line, whether you have a will or you don't. You do, if you're dealing with transferring that interest, uh, you would have to go to probate and pay uh, probate tax on the value of that asset. You know, David, this has been awesome information. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And, uh, you know, I'll get you in for a team meeting like we talked about. Uh, How can people get a hold of you, David? Great. Thank you very much for having me. I do appreciate it. They can contact me at my office at 613-722-9418, or they can email me at david at frl-law.com. Hey, one more question Paul wanted me to ask you. Oh, here we go. Before we go, and I guess he was a little shy. He wanted to know how much he owes you for this. Yeah. Where, do, where are you setting the bill? Uh, no issues. Lunch on me. Yeah, there we go. So once again, guy, David Leaf. David is a partner at Farber Robillard Leaf. So thanks again for coming Thank you, on, David. David. Great information. Thank, thank you. Appreciate it. 521 Talk, 521-8255. We will be right back with the dummies. <laughs> We return to Open House, the real estate and mortgage show on News Talk 580 CFRA. Welcome back to the show. Well, here's a non-event that happened this week. What, what's, <laughs> what, what do you mean? Which one? The first time homebuyer incentives discontinued. What? what? Did, any, did anybody what? even use this? Uh, so why Very we, low take-up rate on it. Why don't we let Sherry first explain the, the first-time homebuyer incentive, what that is. And, and how like, bad it was. And how bad and useless <laughs> it was and how everyone laughed at it. Now they're taken away and we're like, oh, no, please don't take that away. <laughs> and no, I think it's more like, really? Yeah. Was yeah. it even there, really? <laughs> yeah. So it, it effectively was a second mortgage on the, the government contributed either 5% or 10% uh, to – I guess the intent was to reduce payments for, for yeah. people. Um, but they took the equity is, is what they did. So, you know, it, there were a few issues with the, the system. One was no one really approved for it <laughs> because the, the, the limits that they put on for maximum income and how that yeah, they were like 120, 140 grand. Yeah. Right? And then, and so you couldn't actually apply, you couldn't actually approve for any house that you wanted at that at that uh, number anyway. So it really didn't apply. Most people didn't apply. In smaller markets, it might have. Here it didn't. Um, the other thing, as I was saying before, when I had clients inquire about it, I said effectively, so it's it's no interest rate, but the interest rate is actually whatever the growth is. You know, So if, if I'm looking at a client saying, you know, this isn't free money. This is whatever the cost of the growth of, of the property is. They're going to, the government's going to share that with you. So it's also, it was also the cost of actually putting on a second mortgage and those kind of things. But in hindsight, uh, those people who did participate, the few people who did participate in that program, if they were in in 2018, the cost of that second mortgage was the cost of how much their their home had grown for that 5% or 10%. So that cost of the second mortgage is probably 40% or more. So yeah. that would be, they would be like homes went up five, uh, 50%, say in the last five years. Yeah. It would be 50% of the 10% the government Of the 10%, yeah. So on that portion, so if they sell the house, 
then they have to, on that portion, the government, uh, you know, gets the 5% growth uh, of that. So that, that's insane. Like, why would, why would you give the government part of your home? Like it just, it didn't make sense. Like, yeah, you don't, the, only, the best case scenario is you do use that program and hope values go down, but well, the odds of that happening are pretty well, slim. And here's the problem. This came out in 2019. What happened in 2019? Yeah, kaboom. Kaboom. Oh, yeah, the yeah, market yeah. went crazy. So now it was 5% on resale homes and they would lend you up to 10% on new homes. On new homes. Okay. So now I've just bought a new home and I bought it for 500 grand and the government's given me 10% of the down payment and it, go, it went up. 50%. The government's, they're making bank on that. And I'm shocked that anyone took advantage of that yeah, program. Because you wouldn't get the, near the equity you should out of that house. No. Again, hindsight, 2020. But it was, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, so few people qualified for it in our market. It, even before the market uh, took off, it really wasn't a big seller anyway. So I don't think too many people are worse off as a result of it. So let um, me ask you this. Now that this is gone. Mm-hmm. Is there a glimmer of hope that they'll increase amortizations to replace it? <laughs> I Anyone who, uh, you know, I think everyone, uh, no one is committing to that at this point. I know we're working hard. We're, we're but wouldn't that be great? Like, you, hard, you're taking course. away this for first-time homebuyers. So here's what we're going to do. We've taken this away. We're going to increase the amortization to 30 years or even 35 to get into the market. I suspect that the government's still sensitive about housing prices and doesn't want to increase, you know, doesn't want to, uh, start another another uh, housing price boom. Uh, so I suspect that they're not going to buy into that anytime soon. Perhaps once we level out, they may they may listen to that. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Let me ask you a question here. When this came in, was this around election time potentially? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, yeah. let's throw out some stupid promise. But it was a bone that didn't, it just sounded... Like they were doing something where they actually weren't really doing anything at all. It was a wasted program. We said it right off the start. I remember Frank and I talking about it on the air with you, Steve, when it first came out. We're like, what is this program? Mm-hmm. It's, it, and, and who is going to take advantage of this program? It's just yeah. a waste. But anyways. Right. Especially so, when you're tied to not knowing the future. So guess what, guys? People are listening. This terrible program is gone, and I don't think anyone really cares. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. Agreed. But will they replace it with something that has actually some substance? Well, we are going into election, are we not? <laughs> so, so we're going to have some stupid program. Amortizations for 70 years. Here we go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think it's going to be anything that they introduce, I think is going to be largely income-based. I would be very surprised. I think they want to, you know, I think the mandate going forward will be lower income people. But yeah. we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens. So what? far, we're lobbying hard as associations in the industry, but... Nothing so far in terms of amortization. That's what about leveling off the qualifying number where it's the same for variable as it would be for a fixed mortgage? Because if you want to get into a variable now, what do you have to qualify at? It's crazy. So today it would be 8%? You know, 8.2, yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, and people are all over the place right now in terms of, so I, I, I would say, so your comment earlier about five-year fixed, uh, Paul, I, I think it's really Customer specific. Yeah. Well, for sure. So that that's where we, you know, I, I, I think we need to kind of have a suitability for each client and what makes them, what's important to them. But also sometimes we have to do a five-year fixed only because it's the lowest rate and then they can qualify and squeeze in there. But what about a three year as opposed the to the three five? years have been very, very popular and, and there, and what's happened over the last eight months is there used to be a huge premium to go for the the, the differential, the delta between the fi- the three-year fixed and the five-year fixed was significant, more than 100 basis points, 1%. 
Uh, now we're really seeing a tightening of that. The three and the five year are off 20 points, something like that, point two. So it's making the three year look a lot more logical from that standpoint. Um, so, so we're seeing kind of a combination of all those things. Some people, we have a lot of people who really like the variable because of the flexibility and that they think, you know, they can kind of time the market a little bit better. Or some people like myself have been variable all the time, probably always going to be variable. Yeah. And, and that's because over time, historically, that's been the best bet. Well, um, but people take a five year thinking it's safe. If something happens within that five years, especially now with rates as high as they are, and if they do come down over the next year or two years and you have to get out of that property, it is going to cost you a fortune. Absolutely. Yeah. They, I mean, I, you know, in a declining uh, rate environment, your penalty is going up. And that's kind of a uh, – there's no ceiling or, or floor for that. So to understand what that could be, it's really – we don't know until we know how far interest rates go down. So the further out that you – in that five-year, to your point, the further out that you book something, that's also going to increase a penalty if you need to get out of it. But the, so those are considerations you definitely need to take into consider or keep in mind. Absolutely. And I know you say that every mortgage is – every client's different suitability and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But, you know, if you can, if you can get into a, a, a variable – especially when the rates are, are going down, it gives you a lot more options, right? Like you can lock in at any time and then, you know, we know rates are coming down. We're we're at the highest we're going to be. And so w- why lock yourself into a five-year fix unless you have to, but why lock yourself in a five-year fix when you, if, if you can get into a variable or a short-term mortgage? Yeah. Because yeah, your interest rate differential for sure over the next four years, right? Well, you have to, you know, pay now, pay later is also the question, right? So some people, when I'm talking to people in a variable, I'm I'm saying, you know, you're you're understanding that you're paying more now with the hopes that you're going to be paying less later and you're going to be in the in a situation where you feel that you're in market later. Whereas with a fixed rate, I'm telling anybody who decides to take a five year fix, you need to know that three, three years from now, to, you, the people around the water cooler are going to be talking about rates they got in the threes and you're going to be in the high fours. Are you good with that? Yeah. And if they're good with that and they say, listen, I just want to know my payment, I've heard my friend, my whatever, their payments went up and I just can't handle the idea of that. This payment is good for me. I want to know I don't have to think about it for five years. Some people are still in that boat. And, and how much of that decision is based on qualifying these days? It depends. I mean, now, I mean, the differential between, when we're talking about high, high ratio, the differential between a five-year fixed and a variable is 140 points. So that's a fair amount. In yeah, terms of yeah, approval, yeah. Um, so so could that make a difference? Yes. When I'm talking to clients about what's your preferred term, if I know they're close, I, I say I'll try and do it. I'll, I'll look at it in all ways and see if you qualify in each of these situations. So um, it, it's something to consider on on approval for sure. So what you're basically saying is we're a wise a while away from them doing anything about the qualifying rate or amortization. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to You can say, leave now, Sherry. <laughs> I know, sorry. Yeah. We're still going to work. We're still going to try to get it, but I don't want anyone to hold their breath right now. Hey, I learned a new word this morning. Oh, Steve, did you learn the alphabet? I did. Reneviction. Reneviction. Oh, yeah, to renovate the property to evict people. The numbers are astounding how much they've gone up. Well, the problem is, and I'm one of these people... I have tenants in, in, in some of my investment properties that are so under-rented, but nothing you can do about it. You can only increase it by, you know, a small amount every single year. And, 
And it's uh, so what people are doing, what landlords are doing, is they're saying they want to do a major renovation on yeah. the house. They're kicking out the tenant, but they're listen in so Ontario. That, so that's called an N thirteen, okay? So okay, go ahead. So they have gone up from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two five hundred and forty five percent. Yeah. There's rules around that though, Steve. There's rules around that. There's fines that like, you can't just kick out a tenant in Ontario. You just can't. And we're, the tenants have all the rights and we're, you know, I'm dealing with lots of situations right now where landlords and tenants are just not getting along. And, you know, realistically, the the tenant has all the rights. I walked into one of my places a, a, a while back and it was disgusting, like absolutely disgusting and horrified me. And I said to her, I said to the girl, I said, listen, I work pretty hard to, to buy investment properties and to try to grow some, some wealth and all that. And this is my house. Like it's my investment property. Treat it a little better, please. And her response was, I don't have to. Wow. <laughs> right. <laughs> she doesn't, she doesn't, yeah. you know, she's got all the rights and it's, uh, you know, there's other, there's other provinces that are totally different. Like in Alberta, I mean, if I want to jack up the rent 200 bucks a month, I can jack up the rent 200 bucks a month, you know, and if you don't like it, leave, you know, so it's very, very different. I don't think either are right. I think there needs to be a happy medium where the tenant feels like they've, they're, they're playing by the rules and the landlord feels like they're playing by the rules. And, and listen, there's a lot of landlords out there that are doing some, some terrible things to get tenants out of the house, like reneviction. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of tenants that are taking advantage of what's happening right now. And we're hearing more and more of those stories, or at least reading about more and more of those stories. Tenants not paying, not wanting to leave. Put it this way. What have I been saying for the last 18 years? Buy doors, buy doors, buy doors. I'll tell you what I'm saying right now. Sell doors, sell doors, sell really? doors. Yeah. I'm, I'm contemplating getting rid of some of my doors just because I... Just because of the headache? Or is just, that because you're older now and you just can't put up <laughs> well, with it? Well, that's anymore? it. That's, that's it for sure. <laughs> 521-TALK. 521-8255. We'll be right back. We return to Open House, the real estate and mortgage show on News Talk 580 CFRA. Welcome back. Sherry is here for Frank. Paul is here for Paul. Steve is here for Steve. And Connor's here for Connor. Hello, Connor. Hi there. Um, I have a question about credit scores and mortgages. So I found out uh, this past week, uh, unfortunately, I'm a likely victim of fraud. I, I pulled my credit bureau. Um, and over the last six months, there was dozens of credit inquiries that I had never made. There were credit applications that I never made. And the worst, there was a credit card funded, uh, maxed out and then closed and not paid all under my name. Oh boy. Wow. Oh, Carter, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that, yeah. man. That is, that is now. There's something you can do about that, uh, but, an it, uphill battle, but it's an uphill battle. So, but... Yeah, this is, I, I've, um, I've done what I can do now. I've, I've contacted the credit unions, filed the disputes, done all that stuff. Even the lender who, like the bank who I have never even dealt with who had this, um, put fraud alerts and everything. But my understanding is that this takes months and months and months um, to get resolved usually. And what I want to know is if I apply for any kind of financing, heck, not even a mortgage, let's say I want to get a car loan. If they see my credit score went from like 750 to like 600 in six months. Um, 
So we'll, uh, sorry, daughter's with me. That's okay. Um, well, um, is this something that a bank will accept as an explanation? Or are they going to say something like, you have to get this resolved, then come back and talk to us? Well, you should really have. So, Connor, you've gone to the, the institutions involved. Have you gone to the Credit Bureau, Equifax and TransUnion yet? Yeah, I've, I've, okay. I went to both of them. It's amazing and, how hard it is to speak to a human being. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're not kidding, for sure. Yeah. So you've put alerts on both of those so no further uh, transactions can be pulled from there without your – so they should contact you anytime any credit is – is any credit inquiry is done going forward. They can usually provide you with something if you – so part of it is is with them as well. Um, but you should talk to uh, talk to them to see their the what their um, uh, they can give a, a rundown for you uh, to send to take to a, a future credit grantor. Um, but when would that number actually go back to where it should be? It's hard to say. Yeah, it it take, really is hard to say, it and could, it depends on on the. So they can remove it though, right? They can they can remove it as if it never ha- hit your credit bureau. Not that they're not paying off the credit. That's it. They de- they detach it from your actual credit bureau, so but you have to a, do they some need the proof first. Yeah, and you, I mean, you need to to do some declarations and some some things like that to to make sure. And and but they can detach it from your credit bureau, and once it's removed, then it it's like it never happened. And, and the worst part is, I I know Connor, and I know the situation he's in. He needs some credit. <laughs> yeah, he's he's getting ready to pull the pin. So I mean, it's uh, it's it, that's a shame, and I, and I think. I think that it it will happen faster than you think, Connor. I mean, it's hard to say it's uh, you know it's going to take four months, five months. I think it's going to take a lot less than that, to be honest with you. Um, just what a pain, though. As long as you've done all the steps that you said you've done, it it should be quicker than you think. But it's it, I, it is a pain because everyone knows one thing. I'm trying to teach my kids: credit is king. Yeah. You need credit for anything. So you've taken the right steps at least, and I know I just hope they can rectify it for you. Thank you, Connor. Well, I, I just can I say one more thing about this. To the listeners, don't wait until you need credit to check your credit bureau. Yeah. Fortunately, I had an intuition to go look, and I have—I don't need money this exact second. So, yeah. but it's free to check your credit bureau, and yeah. don't wait. Go do it. Yeah. Thank, thanks, Connor. Thanks, Connor. Good advice. And, and you know what? That's that one is, thing I do. I check every month. Yeah, and there's lots of free sites too. Like you can yeah. you can go to like borrowwell.com. There's yeah. all sorts of free sites that you can go, and it takes seconds to yeah. check what your credit's at. Yeah. And it's so worth doing because you know it's, it's the situation Connor's in right now. It's it's a lot of work. Like yeah. it's a pain in the butt. I was about to say the some of those free ones are a little different than what the actual one is, yeah. and so so I know different. So Equifax has a program you have to pay for it, but yeah. you get a little bit more accurate information. More but I, accurate. But you also get two different credit scores. You do from get two different and, Equifax. Yeah. I, and two different credit scores with Equifax. If you pull your Equifax, if I pull my Equifax, they're two different scores. Really? It's it's quite. If you bizarre. pull mine, it would be different than if mm-hmm. I pulled mine. Yep. How is that possible? Uh, it's something. It's the world the we reason, live in, yes. Steve. It's the world we live in. What I always hated about that is that anybody can put a ding on your credit, before, and you wouldn't even know it yeah. unless you checked. Yes, and I mean, it, it, you would have to have so your bank, for instance, in the legalese that you sign when you open a bank account, for instance, there you're giving them access to it. It's not anybody in the world can do this. It's it's if you have some kind of agreement on file. Out of bank. No, or if you miss a, a payment, facility. is what I'm saying. If you miss a payment or you're late on a payment or something, 
that shows up, boom. You yep. So you better know what's going on. There's two different kinds. You can have a full credit bureau and a soft pull, and the soft pulls aren't the same as the as, – so, you know, when you walk into your bank, the teller may do something quickly to say, can I offer them something, some credit? That's typically a soft pull. Right. So that won't impact you. But the whole idea of inquiries uh, impacting your credit score, it's very, very minimal. So Even for credit cards? I. Yes, like I mean, there, there's kind of this perception that if you're, if you're, you know, credit seeking behavior isn't isn't great. Mm. Um, but it, the idea of having credit bureaus uh, pulled is is not doesn't impact your your score the way perception public Ooh, perception. I can is. get that T-shirt at the hockey game now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, look, I don't know where the show went, but yeah, there, there it is. Gone. It's done. Yeah. Any birthday, Sherry? Because I, I know you're here on Frank's behalf, so you he must have spent the week sending them to he, you. No, he didn't, but that's okay. Uh, so we have Isabel Anderson, who works with us uh, with our uh, sister company at, at Advanced Mortgage uh, Corp. Uh, it's her birthday today. And personally, uh, it's my very favorite sister-in-law's birthday tomorrow, Emma, and my very favorite mother-in-law's uh, birthday Next week, Jean Crease. So Ooh, happy why, birthday to both of them. That's why you're here today eh, for the mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Me? No, I don't think we have any no, birthdays. I don't, I don't no, think we got anything. So. No, no. no. Yeah. So Greg Tilly, my amazing photographer, videographer, has his big 5-0 tomorrow. And Greg's in the room with us. So happy birthday with Greg for tomorrow. What are we doing for the big birthday there, Greg? <clears throat> Uh, no big plans this year. No? Yeah. You want to give out your, your cell numbers? <laughs> <laughs> I have one more. I have one more. Uh, one of my neighbors, Eric Duffy, uh, his birthday's on Tuesday. Uh, he's a third-year law student at Ottawa U, and he just got accepted to a summer apprenticeship as a lawyer at Soloway Wright for the summer. So he's very, he had a hell of a day, and so congratulations, Eric, and happy birthday. Fantastic. Well, have a great week. Wednesday will be a non-event, right, Sherry? Non-event. Non-event. All right. The big event is next Saturday when we're back. That's right. That's the big event.